0: My name is Steve Gilman, and for decades I've been helping brands engage with their audiences. On this podcast, we'll connect the dots in the fast-paced world of branding by talking with entrepreneurs, leaders, and marketers on the front lines of telling brand stories. On today's episode of Brand Story, we talk with visual storytelling professor Scott Whithouse about why brands need to have a healthy skeptic in the room, the worst thing that can happen in the edit booth, and the biggest mistakes storytellers make, plus many more insights from his incredible career. Welcome to Brand Story. Uh, My name is Steve Gilman. I am your host for this episode. And our guest today is Scott Whithouse. Scott has been in film and video industry for, wow, over 35 years. It's been a while. And you worked in all facets. You've worked in production, post, live television, editorial for agencies. You've been in management. So you've done it all. And then Scott's currently a managing partner at Low Country Creative. And a professor of visual storytelling at the VCU Brand Center in Richmond, Virginia.
1: That's correct. Hi, Scott. Nothing to correct there. Everything was was right on the (laughs) mark. That's
0: good. I don't want to get anything wrong because I know I'll pay for it later. Exactly. Yes. Full disclosure, Scott and I have been in the same fantasy football league for an eternity,
1: and I have never beaten him. That is correct. If I can remember the name of that Baltimore tight end, I'd bring it up now, but I just can't.
0: Right. Yeah. Can't the point, point two points or whatever exactly. that was with, yeah. you
1: in the, with you at the game with, with me, the, game, me at the
0: game, just crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, secretly I despise Scott. So this will be a very difficult, <laughs> very difficult interview. So Scott, today we're going to talk mostly about, um, visual storytelling because you're a professional mm-hmm. professor of visual, visual storytelling, which is hard to say. It's like a tongue twister.
1: It is, it um, really is. every year. Yeah, professor of visual storytelling. I think I yeah. would say that. Yeah.
0: So yeah. we're gonna, we're going to talk about that about that a little bit. And uh, you started working um, at VCU as a professor in 2008.
1: That's correct. Yeah, I was recruited. Uh, I, I think I went full time in 2008. Um, I was had my. I'd come back from Washington, running um, Henniger Media Services. Um, their operations for them. Which was a large media company that did documentary stock type work for discovery channel national geographic uh, learning channel uh, a totally different animal from the commercial world uh, my first day in washington dc was 9 11 uh, 2001. Uh, so I, I, I kind of called the wife and said let's don't sell the house quite yet um, and um, i came back and i started a company called gray box with uh kristin o'connor from rainmaker studios and kirk schroeder who's an entertainment attorney um, and then I got a call from VCU saying, somebody gave us your name, would you mind doing adjunct, a couple of classes? So I did that, and then a position came open, uh, and they recruited me to apply for it, and I did, and I got the job. And it was it was totally new to me. If you would have told me 15 years ago I would be a college professor, I would have said, you're kidding me, I'm an editor, that's what I do. But... Uh, the nice thing about uh, the Brand Center, as the director at the time, Rick Boyko, um, you know, one of my things for going to academia was he had to keep, I had to keep working, I had to keep editing because I love doing that. And his answer to that was, we want you to keep editing because you can bring stuff from the real world back into the classroom to your to your teaching. And once I heard that, I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. You know, it's the number one graduate school for branding in the country, and they're asking you to join and they're saying yes please keep working too. I'm like, okay, uh, so I gave that a shot.
0: So you've been there a good long time now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it it it's been a really interesting um experience. Um, you know, like I said, I've learned how to teach uh, in fact going while I was starting at the Brand Center as we were professional faculty, not not an academic faculty. I went back and got my master's from Virginia Tech, uh, master of the arts in education and instructional technology. And it really helped me understand what a curriculum should do and how you should set up a class and, and meeting professional goals out in the real world. That's, that's what I try to do is I identify um, professional needs yeah. and then tailor my curriculum to make sure my students, when they get out there, can meet those professional needs
0: yeah well, i I would think teaching visual storytelling and using the technology so much has changed. I mean, it changes year to year. It changes almost day to day. So yeah,
1: uh, you know, um, you know I can show you my my brand new 4k camera yeah, uh, i just right. got right you know and um, you know so for you know 1500 dollars i've got a 4k camera that you know with filmic pro on so the technology you know everything from the editing software you know which has come down in price tremendously to the camera to to what we're shooting and what we're shooting for you know early on it was okay this is going to be aired as a broadcast commercial now the avenues are you know i I'm, I'm a little jealous of the young young folks getting into the industry now because they're not trapped in the 60 or 30 second box anymore right you know their their stories can live on as on the web and can be long form you know branded entertainment type thing so uh, it really is an, a new World out there, and and I love it. I mean, I I, you know a lot of a lot of folks my age, your age, uh, age. you know, sometimes are threatened by the fact that no, now everyone can do it. You know, they've got their 4K camera in their pocket, and everyone can do it. And my answer is always, well, just do it better. (laughs) It's 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 really no no big big secret if you just do it better, you'll stay in business. You know,
0: if you're good at what you do, and you're not threatened by new and yeah. change, you're gonna yeah. be just fine.
1: Like, yeah. I honestly, I love the new
0: world of content. I, You know, the, that 30, 60 second box, even though sometimes it's a useful tool and sometimes that's what we're working on. Like, I love the iteration and the content and the new
1: tech and all the stuff. Absolutely, I mean, I just I just love the fact that the story can live on in a longer, um, a longer format. I, I remember the first time it kind of came to me, I was doing, <clears throat> I was doing some branded content for Triumph Boats for yeah. a company out of Durham, North Carolina. And um, it was the first time a client ever said to me, this is web, this is viral. Oh, by the way, we'll do a couple 30-second spots as well. And yeah. that was kind of the throwaway. Right, yeah. Whereas before, it's like, we're going to take our commercial and put it on the web. Now it's, we're going to do the web thing. And yeah, we'll cut a couple commercials at some point. And that was like, okay, this is happening. And this is a good thing. You yeah, know, This
0: is real. I'm going to embrace yeah. it. Have you seen a lot of people that are, that are a little more old school editors or producers struggle with all the change
1: you know <clears throat> you know way back in the day when you know when I was running post houses and then actually have to when I was freelance had to hire out post houses it, it was kind of a, a game of whoever has the biggest checkbook can play, yep right so you know because like up at Henninger uh, in the Arlington office where I was headquartered when I was running operations for the company. You know, they had 14 online suites, which could run from 750,000 to a million dollars each. So you needed to have big pockets. You needed to have, you know, the banking connections to actually be in the game. Maybe you weren't the most creative, but you had the biggest wallet. And then, you know, when Avid came out and then Final Cut especially came out, that scared a lot of people. And, and quite honestly, we had to take Henegar through a voluntary chapter 11. Because it was right at that tipping point where avid media composer was there, and the output was acceptable for broadcast. Suddenly, the clients are going, you know, I could do this in my office, and 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 we had 14 suites at a million bucks a pop, with with leases on them. So the just the dynamics, the economic dynamics changed right there. It was amazing to watch, scary to watch, because. You know, I had when I was up there, I had Discovery Channel clients in my edit suites in Arlington, recruiting my editors to come work at Discovery Channel. So it was like, boy, this is a new, new world.
0: Yeah, it was a huge paradigm shift. And and with Apple getting into editing and Final Cut Pro and, you know, I lived through all this, too, kind of with you in that I was I brought clients. We edited with the U.S. Postal Service at Henniger on Grass Valley Suites. I worked with you in Avid Suites at Graybox. Um, Then the advent of Apple editing and all the other programs and everything. And honestly, like I've enjoyed every bit of it because we've always been pretty scrappy.
1: Yeah, and 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 the the beautiful thing is, you know, it's so democratized now. And again, if you're if you're scared of that democratization, maybe you should find another place, you know, that that you can buy your way. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of making that up. But uh, I love the idea that you, know, you can take that iPhone 12 and I've got this little gimbal mount that I'm gonna use for all my B-roll. I'm still doing production work, but all the B-roll is gonna be off the iPhone. You know, with the little software you can put on the iPhone and a, and a, a stabilizing mount, you know, why not? Um, and now, you know, the funny thing is now, uh, we're seeing the kind of this introduction that vertical video is okay. You know, instead of shooting landscape, and that used to be, you know, when I'd see that in class, well, that that's not really, you should really shoot in landscape all the time because that's what a 35 millimeter film ratio is and blah, 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 blah. But now it's not like that. You know, filmmakers are using phones and doing, you know, full kind of cinema in the vertical mode. And of course, TikTok and, you know, and the social networks have really made that more acceptable. And I see that becoming more and more involved, you know, in integrated into, um you know, standard storytelling and it's okay. It's right. It's, it's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's,
0: it's kind of like how language changes, you know, how people, people, if you're you know older, you'll be like, Oh, you shouldn't use that slang. That's not a real word. It's right. the same thing. You know, right. yeah, processes absolutely. change, technology changes. And one of the things I've found is it, what clients need is they need someone that knows how to tell a story and, and use the technology because a lot of times, you know, some people can go out and get really nice looking footage on a 4K phone or use a DSLR rig or, and we use it all, everything from GoPros to DSLR rigs to anything that works. And so what do you think's had the most impact for you on your perspective as a visual storyteller over, over the years?
1: Well, the technology, you know, I, don't, I really don't, that doesn't, I, you know, like I tell my students, I can teach you how to push the buttons and you can, be, you can edit something. Right. You, can, you can edit something. I don't care if you're using Premiere or Final Cut Pro or Final Cut Pro 10, or and Media Composer or whatever. You know, I, I tell my students, I said, most of the commercials we see on the air, you can cut in iMovie. Quite honestly, you could. Sure. It's usually like seven cuts, end card, boom. You know, okay, here you go. Go ahead. I, I would say, it's, it's, again, it's that democratization of, of the ability to tell a story visually and then the distribution of it you know, and, and, and the immediacy of the distribution as well. Um, you know, this, you know, the, the idea that you can shoot something and it's to your client or out there telling a story within minutes, really, if you want, is, is amazing. And, and, and quite honestly, Steve, it, there's a good and a bad to that. And I tell my students, I say a lot of times when you're in the creative mode, and you're in that zone, You get to a point where your eyes are tired, your brain's tired, and you you should put it away and go away. Right. So but back in our day, we had that built in because we had to be done by five o'clock. Chris FedEx came at six. We had to make a VHS, get it to FedEx. The client wouldn't get it till at least 930 the next morning. So we'd get back in the suite around 11, talk to the client on the phone. And it allowed us that time to let things settle and percolate and we would come back in. Hey, it still looks good or no, it doesn't look good. The storytellers today, especially in the commercial world, don't have that luxury anymore. You know, it is immediate. It is immediate. It's it's like, I was editing, I'm editing a documentary um, on Jeff Goodby. It's part of an inspiration series. And my client, who who is my former director at the, at the Brand Center, he was on Zoom with me the whole time. And I just sharing my Final Cut screen and we're, we're editing that way. So, you know, the beauty of the immediacy of it, uh, the ability uh, ability for the technology to eliminate geography from the creative process as you know, geography is no longer a problem, you know, and especially in this last, you know, 13, 14 months, uh, I haven't been in a real edit suite in over a year, you know, it's been sitting right here you know, in, in my little office with my little, you know, uh, road microphone and, and, and just working with clients that way.
0: Yeah, isn't it great? I mean, we, I mean, we've been in Harrisonburg in the Shenandoah Valley for so many years. I mean, this is our 27th year in business and we've been in the Valley. You know, we were in DC for the first seven years, six, seven years. And when we moved here, people thought, oh man, that's going to be so bad for you. So I feel like we've been a little bit ahead of that curve because we have clients all over the Eastern seaboard down North Carolina and different places. And so we've been trying to work this way and working this way successfully for years. And so it's been great.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you guys were forced to find those solutions that eliminate geography and storytelling, you know, and and that's great, you know, and um, you know, who would have thought Zoom was going to do what it was going to do 15 months ago, you know, and uh, suddenly. Um, you know, it, it's changing everything. And I think the post industry, especially, uh, you know, in their production, I still believe in the value of people getting together and, and being creative together. I think I, I don't think that happens in Zoom. You, you know, little rectangles talking to each other a lot of times you lose that. And I, I know I see it in my students. I, I, I see the fatigue of, of looking at the screen all day. But as far as post goes, you know, um, again, my client yesterday, he's up in Connecticut. I'm here and we're editing and, you know, I, I put up, uh, you know, a cut on Dropbox so he can make some notes and, and we just, it just seems normal and I love it. You know, you know I think it's a really uh, a, a great way to do things.
0: Yeah, we love it. We, we use different systems. We have a, a system we use where our editors will post uh, an edit and we can go in and just mark it up and look at things and, you know, we're all in different Even though we're in the same area, we're all in different spots now. Right. So just the future of how we do this, I feel like is wide open right now and it's really fun. So I have a question about you've worked with so many different brands Mm -hmm. like throughout your career and not naming any names or anything. But, you know, still to this day, what do you think are the common visual storytelling and mistakes that brands make?
1: um that that one is pretty easy to cuz I, I teach that to my students all the time you know i see you know quite honestly i look at it in the super bowl ads a lot yeah uh and i see visual execution before concept and the story um and you know if if you and i try to tell my students they they will come to me with an idea and i saw tell them what's the concept and they say, well, the concept's about these two people walking down the street and it's gonna be in black and white and it's gonna be snowing. I said, no, 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 that's that's the execution. What's the concept? Well, they're walking down the street and it's snow- no, no 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 what you know and then, then we start dissecting. I said, what problem are you solving? And then we can get to a concept from that idea of problem solving. Um, you know, and, and that is the biggest, you know, that is the biggest error I see all the time. Uh, You know, uh, I actually have a a, and and quite honestly, also, I I see a lot of things go out on the air and, you know, I'm I'm not even going to count what's on the web because that's a bit of the Wild West. But I see a lot of things go out on the air and my wife and I look at each other and go, who approved that? (laughs) And, uh, you know, and and I've actually got an entire class I do now called the Healthy Skeptic. Uh, where, you know, in, in the ad industry, especially, you know, a lot of the agencies have been bought up and they're all part of conglomerates. And um, there, uh, I, I found a post on LinkedIn by a gen- gentleman named Derek Walker about the, the lack of the healthy skeptic in the room anymore. And that's how stuff gets out, you know, because no one's willing to raise their hand and say, you know, should we really do that? You know, should we really do that? And it came crystal clear to me about four years ago watching the Super Bowl. And there was a Dodge truck spot that used part of a sermon from Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah, I remember that So remember that one. Yep. So I looked at my wife Pamela and I said, you know, that doesn't feel right. I, I'd love to have been in that room. Well then I, I so I, I kept that spot and then I started digging a little deeper into that sermon and you can find it on the air. There's some people who have been very clever. They found the rest of the sermon and put it to the visuals. And it was about the evils of materialism. You know, and talked about advertising people are very good at their jobs to make you want to buy that car or buy, you know, so that commercial and then finding that other part of the sermon started me looking at other things of like, how did this get out there? And I'm trying to teach my students to be the healthy skeptic in the room and, and raise their hand and say, let's think about this. You know, maybe there wouldn't have been a Pepsi moment. Uh, years ago, uh, with with one of the Kardashians, I think, and, and and there's so many things you see on the air. And as I started digging into things, I kept finding more and more and more. And it's like, where was the healthy skeptic? And and you know the, the these big conglomerates have kind of pushed that down. If you if you disagree, you, you are not a team team player. You know, and that's kind. Of, and, you know, and I tell my students if you raise your hand and you feel you know, you've made a good point and it's a point that's true to your moral compass and they fire you for it, you shake their hands and say, thank you very much. This, you know, I'll, I'll be on my way now because that's not where you want to be, right? Yeah,
0: I think with the democratization of, of tools and you think about what value you have to offer, whether you're an experienced editor or you're a producer or director like me, it's being the healthy skeptic and giving good advice. Right. Because right. sometimes, even if the concept is right, you know, so you can execute a story 10 different ways. That's correct. And so what do you, what elements do you think are actually crucial for a successful story?
1: Well, if you're talking like a brand story, um, you know, so if you're, if you're, if you're talking about brand story, again, I go back to um, embracing the problem that's being solved. Um, I use, you know, one of the first assignments I give my students, and my students usually, you know, I teach about 40 to 50 a semester, and probably about 15 of them have had experience, and then there's probably another 20 that are scared out of their minds about the camera and the editing, and, and, um, and I give the first assignment, I give them Purell hand sanitizer. I said okay, and and this year I didn't because basically Perel saved the world. So <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I get, I get the same com- like the same concept. We save the world. Well, that's a pretty good problem to solve. But you know I, I I tell them I say here's your first co- project. I said, come up with a concept uh, and then uh, talk to me about the visual execution. And they have to learn how to do storyboards and scripting, and they 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 have to do classes and Final Cut Pro editing uh, just because it's the easiest to learn, and. So many times they come back with it kills ninety nine point nine nine percent of germs and it's got aloe vera in it. And your skin smells good. I said okay, great, Okay. So I said uh, let's, let's let's take a field trip to CVS and let's look at all the knockoffs. What do they say on kills ninety nine point nine nine percent of germs? Aloe vera and makes your skin smell good. Okay, you know so we can't fight on that. You know we're not the cheapest. We're the we're the brand. We're the Kleenex of that skin sanitizer stuff. So what do you do? And I try to let them say you know think. I want you know let's let's look about a problem what's the problem that this brand solves well problem one could be kids bring germs to school all the time I'm a parent I care about my kids education therefore Purell you know they have a travel size I give to my kid he can wipe his hands every touches anything Purell becomes less of a hand sanitizer and more of an education brand right and then then you get to the by the way we have we kill 99.99 percent of germs and we have vera, and the skin smells good and all that so i really try to get them to you know embrace the problem figure it out you know and and like you guys do a lot of strategic work and strategic thinking who is who are these people who and i show them there's a good ted talk by uh, simon sinek called sell the why yeah, and I think I show that to them every year, every semester, and it's it's really getting old because it's four by three. It looks right. like we shot on a VHS. It's a
0: something. great. I've watched that. It's a great
1: one. Right? Yeah. So, but it is. It's like you're not selling the product. You're selling the solution to a problem. Yeah. You know, the product will sell itself if you can identify that and, and set it up properly.
0: Yeah, and I think my background in directing theater, like one of the tools that I use over and over again, is finding the emotion. Like in theater, they call it find the love. You know, and honestly, like solving a problem, but finding the why, but finding the emotional why.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: You know, what is it about this that, that can make someone feel one of the most one of their more basic needs being met or emotions being triggered? And I think that's that's really powerful because I see a lot of advertising that forgot the emotion.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, you're right, and and that's an unspoken thing, you know, and again, if you go back to that cynic video, I mean, he talks about that part of the brain where it it has no ability to verbalize or it has, you know, but it's that gut feel. It's that emotion. It's like, okay, this is why I want to act a certain way or buy a certain product or, or act a way to buy the product. You know, that connected with me, you know, so if I want my kid to stay in school and you know, here's Purell saying, we care about your child's education. That's why we, you know, suddenly it's not about the 99.99%. You know, when that that's a good place to be if you're a brand, you know.
0: It is. Yeah, making an emotional connection with your consumer and also solving their problem at the same time is where you want exactly. to be. So exactly. So what do you think the hardest part of a visual storyteller's job is today?
1: The, the biggest challenge is, you know, are, are you know, I think a lot of people make the technology a big challenge and it doesn't need to be you know and i throw that out because again the iphone with 4k video and whatever you you want to do um again i think it's that um the thought process of telling a story you know and and I, i see a lot of students you know i mentioned before run to a visual execution uh, just run, 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 uh, and um, and not think about the story. You know, how does this work? What is this character like? What is the background of this character? You know, so if we're not talking about um, brands here. Um, I give a, a, a semester long assignment where I say, you I said to the students, you have three to five minutes of blank space. Make something. And that is the hardest assignment they have. That is and the way I look at it for them and I tell them this is said, working on a brand is like kind of like bowling with the gutter guards down you know when you're kids and you know the brand itself will keep you kind of in the lane but when it's a blank screen the gutter guards are off and you can throw gutter balls all day long if you're not you know telling that story correctly developing characters you know thinking about you know how are you going to shoot this how are you going to edit it shooting to edit you know, but, but it really comes back to that story, you know, making sure you're, you're, you're thinking um, conceptually first, you know, and then the execution will, will, will make itself apparent.
0: You said something about shooting to edit, and I've found that that's, you know, especially in, in aspiring visual storytellers or on the client side, you know, they'll see what they want, but it's the movie in their head, not how it can actually happen. And then so I've seen things get executed where it's uneditable.
1: Yep. Agreed. So
0: can you t- tell me a little bit about what you would tell people about shooting to edit?
1: Well, I think we've both, you know, um, you know, I've worked for directors who have never been editors. Um, and the best directors I've worked for have edited at some point. They know that shit rolls downhill.
0: Yeah, it sure does.
1: And the edit suite is at the bottom of the hill. So if it's at the top of the hill it's going to really hard to make you know or chicken chicken at the top of the hill it's hard to make chicken salad at the bottom so um you know so I, I you know shooting to edit is so important and you know um yeah you can do storyboards and things like that but you know it's it's a skill and you know it's a skill people learn and they learn it usually by sitting in an edit suite feeling that heat coming up your neck going oh my god this is not going to work I'm just gonna have to put like a two-second dissolve in here. <laughs> just and that that'll fix it. You know, how can I then, cover this? Yeah. Yeah, and then the client's gonna go crazy and well, we'll just put some text on the screen, you know. Well, we didn't shoot it, you didn't get it, you know. So in my with my teaching hat on, I try to tell the students, I said, you know, do a storyboard, do a shoot board, shoot the board, but always get other things. You know, if you're in a scene where you have two people sitting there, one's writing something and one's drinking a cup of coffee, after you get that scene shot. Go get the close up of that person writing. Go get the close up of that co- coffee coming to the person's mouth because you never know. You know, you never know. You may need that editorial break, uh, you know, when you get downhill to make the chicken salad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's amazing over the, my career doing this when, you know, the best parts are when I was actually invited on the set. You know, so they bring the editor on the set where I could, where the director and I knew each other well enough where I could stop them and say, hey, while you're here, can you get that close up over there just in case? And that's really good. The second best is having an, a director who has been an editor before or still is an editor. Um, that's a double-edged sword because suddenly the director has his cut and, or her cut and I've got, I've got, I'm working with the client. It's like, oh boy. Uh, so, but yeah, I've, I've been in way too many situations where it's not shot. It's not in the can. It's not on disc. It's not on film back in the day. And there's not a lot you can do, you know, and, and it's so, so important to remember that you're shooting for the edit and I'm selfish. I'm an editor, but that's, you know, you got make me happy. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I completely agree with that. Cause we've all, all of us that are in this business have been in that moment where we don't have it. Right. And we've got to try to figure it out. And I think I think one of, the down, one, one of the downsides about the democratization of the technology is the lack of education around shooting for the edit or, or conversely, the amount of time you actually need to shoot for the edit. Because when someone pictures like, oh, well, it's just going to be a shot of this guy doing this thing. Well, it is, but I got to cover it from four different angles or you're going to be mad later
1: right exactly i know you're you that you're 100 right and and there are some of the you know again we can go so quickly to shooting and editing right now you know you can do it all on the phone you know i've got iMovie on my phone i could shoot and cut something and send it to you And yeah, okay great uh, but there are some disciplines of filmmaking and film what i call filmmaking or in post-production some disciplines and like let the camera roll two seconds before you start and stop the action, you know, or let's cover that scene the way, you know, let's get some over the shoulders, we'll get some close-ups. And so I th- I think there is some of that discipline that gets lost in the immediacy of the act, you know, because again, um these days you can shoot and cut and have it posted and the whole world can see it in a matter of minutes, you know, and um if you just look at, at current social events, how cell phone cameras get, you know, it, it's, it's almost instantaneous. Um, so, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think there still is a place for the basic tenets of production and post production, some of the basic things, you know, time code still matters in, in some instances, right, if you're shooting multiple cameras and stuff. Time code matters. It's a good thing. You know, it's not like, what are these numbers that keep running here? No, that, that's, you know, that's a numerical address for every frame in the, in the video. So it, it still matters. So I, I think you're right. I, I, you know, I, I think the, and I don't know if I blame on democratization as much. And, and it is part of the same thing, but it's the, the ability to do it so fast and it's be so immediate and get it out there. And it's almost like a rush to get it out fast. Yeah. You know, uh, right. I just finished a documentary, uh, on judge Robert marriage, um, a, a, a circuit court judge four years to do that hour and six minutes. And the director is an old, old school filmmaker, a friend of mine, and he's been in the film business for a long time. And he, you know, he was like, you know, this is not done yet. We're, do, we we do not have a deadline. You know, I mean, the, the, the investors probably want us to be done, but we're still, you know, massaging this story and, and, um, you know, there, there is some of that as like, take some time, make sure the story's right. But again, the ability to shoot and edit and distribution, you know, so quickly has, has changed a lot of things.
0: Yeah, I think, the, I think the trick might be, it's not exactly the democratization of the technology. It's what you get used to, you mm-hmm. know? So if you're used to doing fast, 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 the moment you need to do considered, the yeah. moment you need to stop and be like, wait a minute, did I get coverage? what I've found is some people don't know to do that anymore. And that's, you know, it's a big part of being successful, especially when you want iteration later.
1: Yep, oh, absolutely. Because everybody absolutely.
0: wants, you know, you don't want just one thing, you want 10 things made out of the thing you shot.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and um, yeah, you're exactly right. You're, you're exactly right there is that, you know, it's, it, you've got to take some time. And and on the other side of things too, agencies, you know, are now being pushed to be faster. Yeah. So you know, I cut something last January that was shot on all iPhone 11s. The wow. whole thing, you know, all iPhone 11s. We did it all remotely, but you know, so we had to. We had the commercials that were going to run on like Outdoor Life Network or something like that. But boy, the social stuff had to go now. You know, the social stuff had to go now. So we we they didn't shoot it properly. So we had to re reformat it and post and do a little pan and scan and everything's like that. But you know, in, in some ways, this immediacy, brands have kind of hooked into that and said, get get that story out now. You know, you know, I want that, uh, who was it? Oreos moment or something like that from a couple of years ago. I want that Twitter feed to be right there now. You know, so I imagine from your end of the industry too, you've got clients saying, you know, let's get this, you know, but you gotta be careful. You gotta be that healthy skeptic going back to that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, it's part of preparation in that, Even when clients want the immediacy and they want the social content, usually there's another piece that they're going to use it for. So the better the plan, better the production plan going in, the more you can have the immediacy of the content that needs to be that way. And then you can also have the more carefully crafted stuff done after. So it's all, you know, we like planning. (laughs) (laughs) we enjoy it so you've done so much work like i you know i know i know some of the clients you've worked for but do you have any campaigns or a campaign that really stands out to you that you're really proud of
1: i have a commercial that is to this day is my favorite thing i've done now this documentary i just finished um you know, if, if that was the last thing I edited and it wasn't because I'm still editing, I'd have been very happy with that, you know, it, it came out good. It's an important message and this, that and the other thing. Um, but there was one spot and it was I didn't get paid a dime for it as a PSA. And that's, you know, art and art and commerce, you know. Right. Um, but the client was in L.A. and they had it was it was on, um, you know, identifying bias. By the way a person looks or something it was, it was soon after it was a couple of years after nine eleven the client had gone out to L A and and had a cut done there and it, they just really didn't like it they really just they said this is not what we thought and everything like that so they showed me the spot and they said we're just going to give you the footage I said can I have storyboards I said no they don't no storyboards make make a story. So I worked, uh, this is while we are at Box, and I worked with um, uh, Rainmaker on sound design for this. And we made this crazy video a really sad video. Instead of the, the main character, instead of looking at him like a crazy racist, we made him seem very sad, a real sad person. It's almost like, like he felt sorry for him because, uh, and then the sound design that Rainmaker did uh, was just, so open and so beautiful, and we client was back out in L.A. We sent him the VHS tape, probably, and um, it was one of the best um, things a client has said to me. They they were blown away, and they said, "We never knew that story was in that film. We never knew that story existed." Um, and you know, to this day, you know, again, any edit I look at, I said, "Boy, I'd have changed that," or I "Wish I had," you know. But to this day, I can go back to that that spot and say. Yeah, that client. That that was that was good and it felt good. I don't never made a dime on it and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, when a client says, "Wow, we never knew that story was actually in the film we shot." That that was my favorite. That was a good thing.
0: That's great. Like that is such a great feeling when I think that's one of the reasons we do this is, you know, telling stories for people, especially when it's important. You know, and we've worked with a lot of companies that are, you know, in healthcare or nonprofits and when you get to tell a story that that matters or the company's mission matters it's so much easier for the the shooters and the editors and everyone involved to to be involved and care and um i think one of the one of the things you kind of touched on there is there can be so many different ways to cut a story and i've always been fascinated by this and i've watched you edit a lot and you know i think and something i tell our editors is you know when there is time you can take a story and you can put the beginning first and the, the what you thought was the the conclusion in the middle you can do so many things to tell a different story and being able to sometimes have that time is is where the magic can be
1: yep and I, I yeah you're exactly right and and i think the beauty of the technology we use now allows us to do that very quickly again i've i've on pretty much every all the systems and you know it really hasn't. The technology hasn't really shortened the edit process. You know, you still need three days, whatever, it, whatever the days may say, but it allows us to experiment more. It really does. So instead of in the you know in the old linear days, it's like, oh God, we'll dub this off and make another version, or I'll go back and rebuild it. Now, uh, I you know I usually have three or four versions for the client before they see it, and maybe sometimes, like you said, I will put the ending at the beginning and then build the story up to that point so people may not the ending may not make sense when they see it at the head of course it doesn't but then we build the story up to that point then they're like oh that that's why that happened that's why that happened and and you do get that and I teach my students that too i said sometimes you want to take a story and flip it on its head you know let people understand what happened at the end and let's figure out how these how these characters got to that point and that's a fun way of doing things. And so just, you know, you know, and it's a learned skill for the students a lot of times because they're, they're very linear sometimes in their thinking. And, you know, and I try to get these, these guys to be, let's, let's make this less linear, let's jump around, let's make it interesting. And, and there, there is a rhythm to storytelling. You know, I, I always um, uh, you know, equate storytelling and editing to playing music, you know, playing like the guitar over my shoulder. Um, you know, in music and I'm sure in theater too, there is a rhythm where things work improperly. You don't have to be a musician, but that rhythm is natural to everyone. So like when you're playing music, you may hit the right note at the wrong time and it doesn't feel good. Or you hit the right time and the wrong note, it doesn't feel good. I'm sure in acting it's the wrong inflection and the right line or something like that or the wrong look type thing. And, And I I try to tell them, it's like, just let that, you'll feel it. You'll feel that rhythm. And once you get that, then, you know, that's when you see editors going, wait a minute, I'm going to knock it back two frames. Nope, make it three. And they're just, they're feeling that rhythm on the cut. And that's, that's a fun, fun thing to get into.
0: Yeah. A lot of great editors are really good musicians and they're always visual storytellers. I find are always great listeners Mm -hmm. because part of playing music to be a good musician is to listen. You have to hear what the other people are doing. You have to listen to your material. And you're right. Whether it's theater, filmmaking, there's a rhythm to every story. And even when, when I'm directing theater, directing a play or whatever it is, or, or directing a production video, um, so a lot of times when I'm getting to the final scene, I'll actually tap out a rhythm. Because I'm a musician too. I'll tap out a rhythm for pace. Because people can have their motivation, they can know what they're supposed to do as an actor. They can do a lot of different things. You can have the scene just right, but the pace is off.
1: Yep, exactly. So, exactly. and I
0: think human beings, you know, pace and rhythm affects you emotionally. So, and I think it's really important. So, let me let me ask you one more question about kind of clients and people on the on the marketing and and even agency side you know i interact with all sorts of different people whether they're agency people or their their clients or their non-marketers you know that run companies what what are people that are on the marketing side or the business side what do you wish they knew about visual storytelling
1: well the, the low hanging fruit is it takes time and it costs money you know even even with the cell phone type thing um You know i mean the best clients i've had have you know and again this is this is through experience and you know having done this for 35 years as you you so evilly mentioned in the (laughs) beginning (laughs) um you know trust you know from the and i know your clients and you mean your clients tend to trust you that okay scott's taken this somewhere i'm not sure this is exactly where i thought it was going to go but let's sit back and watch the process and and when you get to that level with a client of, you know, just give me some time here, just I got an idea. Let me, you know, go get a cup of coffee. But when you come back, I'll have a it basically roughed out. Uh, that's that is, you know, a good thing. It's like you're hiring uh, your crew as professionals. This is what they do. So let me do that. If, if I'm wrong, you can tell me I'm wrong and I'm totally fine with that. But you've hired me not just to push the buttons, right? And, you know if you want to hire my my right hand on the mouse i'll I'll put a separate rate for that, you know um, but you know you you've hired Steve Gilman, you've hired you know our friend Woody Sherman, you've hired whoever it is to help you tell this story. you know so trust me, uh, I'm on your side. <laughs> yeah I
0: want this to turn out good for you. I think it's one of one of the interesting things and, you know, it's an education thing sometimes. And I found that I'll spend a little time explaining to clients because they actually don't know, you know, if you're an MBA or even sometimes if you're a CMO, you actually haven't spent time learning and training about how to tell a story, the tools. So like st- simple story structure is something a lot of people don't know, you know, all that stuff. So, so do you run into some of that with students and in your editorial?
1: Oh, with students all the time because they're just learning. Right. Uh, again, student, like I said before, students want to do the cool execution. They want the floating elephant and they want the jet flyover. You know, they, they, you know, that, you know. So we really need to, again, understand what concept and then story development, character development too. Right. Uh, you know, strategically when you're looking at a story and you want to tell a story, who's the character? You know, it's just not a guy named Scott what's his background you know why is he here how did he end up right here you know sitting here with you what's what's his deal you know once you get to know that character you know and i'm sure in your acting career and then as directing as well you need to know the character you're playing yeah you know you need to understand who that person is you know and what motivates that person and how they will react to certain things so for the students, yeah, it is, it, it, it has to happen, uh, you know, clients usually um, are a little ahead of the game in the, you know, they understand that in the ad world, you know, and I, um, when I was doing a lot of corporate video, and I still do, you know, corporate, we call the corporate theater or corporate video at Henniger, um, they may have, may be taking a little more on the learning curve. But I think you're seeing more and more, um, if you call it, I don't even want to call it non-creative because everyone's creative. But if you take that MBA. I think they're starting to get um, introduced to creativity and storytelling earlier, and earlier in their process. I know the VCU School of Business. Uh, you know, the, the tagline for them is creativity at work. So they are, you know, they they are absolutely pushing. You know, they have an artist in residence and you know, and all this stuff because. You know, creativity and storytelling, especially these days, um, you know, you've got to understand how to tell a story and get control of the story that you're telling. Yeah, you know, I,
0: I couldn't agree more. And I, th- I think what I've noticed as the years have gone on and lately is people in all aspects of business are starting to value storytelling a lot more than they used Absolutely. to because it's all storytelling. Yep. Whether you're trying to convince your employees about something that they need to do or whether you're putting a message out externally or you're training someone or you're trying to get a client to understand why the edit could work a different way. Right. You're gonna use story to try to get your point across.
1: Yep, you're exa- exactly right. And uh, a- and these days the ability to um, control the narrative, um, you know, is, is a little bit tougher because of, you know, the, you can, it can blow at any scene
0: really can't
1: it so so i think the more that people if you use the term on the client side understand storytelling and understand like you said everything is storytelling that you know that god i've I've done tons of them the, the corporate training videos is storytelling we're solving a problem and using a story to identify the problem and show the solution you know that may be you know how to use the new healthcare interface on the web still a story you know it's still a story and you tell that story and 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 make it understandable and 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 have it solve a problem you know so yeah i think you're exactly right and, and and you start reading you know some of the business magazines and you read harvard business review or anything like that there's so much of that in there there's so much you know coming and i think it's great and again that's a whole nother market that the younger folks coming in now can get into because you know, the New York Times has great visual stories. They, they got like a mini doc uh, segment and all these companies and that branded content and, you know, and all this stuff is, is just pretty amazing. And uh, in some ways, I'm kind of jealous of, of, of the folks coming in right now because it's, it, it's wide open, but it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I, I love it because we're, we're doing things these days that that are different than the same than what we've always done. And branded content and the iteration and telling micro stories and, and all the different things we do right now, are, it's so much fun. I've, I'm having more fun now than I did 10 years ago because of the advent of branded content.
1: Yeah, and it, it, the, the beautiful thing about that is going back to what we talked about in the beginning, is you're out of that 30 second box. Right. So the, the example I show my students is the Virginia Tourism Corporation did a series of spots a couple of years ago, um, and it was, you know, they were pretty normal commercials, you know, check the boxes. It was like, you know, we got barbecue, we got, you know, breweries, we got a river, you know, we got mountains, we got, you know, water park, whatever. But then, you know, these stories are about families at these places and they're eating barbecue and on the river and at a water park and all that stuff. But then they had a call to action at the end. Say, for more of this story, go here. So you went to the web and saw this expanded story. It's like, wait a minute, this is not just about this family eating barbecue. One was an interracial couple introducing their parents for the very first time. And another one was about... Uh, a father and son, the father was gay and he was estranged from his father for a decade and about them getting together. So these, these four-minute pieces, that, sure enough, had barbecue, had oysters, had bread wine, had, but the story was so different. So Virginia wasn't, you know, Virginia was not a place to go eat barbecue and go to a brewery and go on a river. It was a place where families got together. Well, oh, by the way, you can get barbecue breweries. You know, it was, it was brilliant, beautiful. You know, I thought it was really a great way. And I show those spots every year and my students. say, This is where you can go. You know, the 30 the, the second spot does what it does. And we have to do that well for the client. But then you can expand that story where people can really become, in, you know, Intimate with your brand and they're, they're, you know, and it, it was great. It was really cool Yeah,
0: and I think what I love about stuff like that and I've actually I actually saw those and absolutely love them is That along with it all being storytelling, you know, just the art of using empathy mm-hmm. And knowing that this is a human endeavor, you know, and you know, some clients it's like look I need to get I want to grow my business I want my product to sell well Then we better use empathy and know that we're talking to human beings,
1: right? And that that you know when you when you're talking to a client about that you know the cfo or the financial group they're going to say where's the spike in the the chicken sales or whatever it is you know uh you know and and the education we talked about the education of the client that storytelling is not a price item thing yeah you know when you talk about empathy it, you're not going to see you know it's not a you know Twelve-piece chicken bucket now, you know, for now six bucks for the weekend, and you're not going to see that spike in chicken. But over the long term, you're getting brand advocates. You're you're getting people who believe in your brand. You know, uh, for Virginia tourism, you know, um, tourism folks told me, Rita McClenny told me, said, you know, this wasn't very popular in some parts of the state. You know, these two these two, these two stories. For sure, and, I imagine. But they did it. And I think that, uh, you know, to me, that's a, it, it was a, it was a great thing. So I think part of the education process you talked about in storytelling is also letting the, the client know that we are building something here. Yeah. You know, we're not doing the 12 piece chicken bucket thing or whatever it is. You know, you want to get to the point of telling a great story and then say, oh, by the way, chicken's on sale this weekend for 12 pieces for six bucks or whatever, whatever Kentucky Fried Chicken will do. So there's a lot of when you're building something, you know, the marketing team may get it, but the CFO may say, I don't see a return on this. You know, where's my return? A lot of times it
0: doesn't happen right away because it is a long tail process because, you know, content marketing and brand marketing are relationship building. Correct. So, you know, if you're going to like our company or you're going to like company X, it's because you have a relationship with them with them and you connect with them emotionally they connect with your values emotionally so that when they do something that maybe you don't like you'll give them a break or you'll think of them first Correct. and relationship doesn't happen overnight it's not transactional
1: yeah i couldn't agree more that's a, just a great great point and you know it takes time you know if you want a short spike in sales sure put it on sale but so if you start competing there then everyone else in your in your areas can say i'll just go three cents lower and then you know what What are you going to do
0: it's a race to the bottom
1: race to the bottom right but if you can again getting back to purell if you can say you know we're an education company because we're keeping your kid in school if he doesn't get germs or anything like that we care about your kid's education then you put the bar somewhere different then all the knockoffs to say well we're 20 cents cheaper it's like who cares yeah, okay? but i That's trust random. this one yeah, I, I trust them for my kid's education, you know, and you get to that point And again, that, like you said, it's a long tail thing, but then you get real brand advocates and folks who are, are just going to, you know, follow the brand. I mean, uh, it, it's, it, and the price may not be that big an issue.
0: Yeah. And you know, it, it works when you're, when you're talking about product with like Purell and it works when you're talking about more complex things like healthcare. Yeah, you exactly. know, we, we've done a lot of healthcare over the years and worked with Sentara, uh and, uh, you know, Sentara RMH here we worked with for years and years until they merged with Sentara. But, you know, we built a lot of brand equity and, and therefore a lot of business by storytelling and not doing it once, not using the 30 second spot, but using like iterative storytelling over and over again. And I think consistency is so important
1: in that. Yeah. I mean, and, and quite honestly, you, you start to get people who know the doctors who have never met the doctors yeah, before, right. you know, when you start to get, you know, people who know what proton therapy is, I'm just pulling that, down, you know, but, you know, and, and, and why it's a good thing, you know, and I know that that doctor uses that technology and this kind of remote relationship you start gathering. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's in any industry, you know, it's just not in making commercials. It's, it's, it's anywhere. It really is. You can't do it without it.
0: It's universal, you know, and that's, I think the power of story and my favorite thing, I think we one of the, my favorite things we ever did was with RMH and, you know, RMH being a community hospital in the Shenandoah Valley, everyone had the perceptions that like, UVA is clearly better, but RMH was starting a really state of the art heart program and people were skeptical. And then what started to happen is rescue squads on between the line between uva and and rmh would fly people to rmh because they knew they would get the rescue squad cares about you getting care the fastest so the the you know from the moment they were picked up to the moment they were receiving care was going to be the fastest they'd bring them there so we told the story about helicopters coming in to rmh
1: not leaving Oh, okay, that's good.
0: And that that's story cool. just, and then you would hear in focus groups and people saying, like, you know, I, I hear those helicopters and they're all coming here now.
1: See, that's that's brilliant. <laughs> and
0: you know, it, like, and it ch and their heart program grew and grew and grew. And we just told that story over and over again in as many different personal
1: human ways we could. Yeah. And, and the beauty of it, it, it's true. Yeah, it is true. So, you know, there's no, used, yeah. Yeah. So for, for for the the client, it's like we're just telling true stories that you guys just have,
0: and that's the that's what I think is my favorite part of what we do for a living. Uh, you and and us here at Gravity is we love transparency and we love tra- telling true stories. I'm I'm such an enemy of spin and trying to sell. Like I just want to find the nugget, the truth, and then shine a light on it because that's what works
1: because these days you can't pull the wool over too many people's eyes anymore you know uh, you know I, I i know from day like for me and what i teach those kids are googling me immediately you know as soon as they see my name as their professor they're I was like this is who this guy is is he bull or what you know i'm like google away you know because if you try to um you know pull a fast one you know just be tricky, be, be, you know, try to be tricky. You're going to get called out these days, especially, you know, you, you've got to understand that people are going to be, they're going to be checking up on you, what you claim, what you do, they, the people are going to check, you know, they're just, you might as well accept that, you know, it's gone are the days where you throw something out there in the air and, and it's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like the used car guy, you know, those days are gone. They're going to check on you.
0: They are. And I think that's a really powerful message for brands and storytellers is that don't even go there. Don't even think that way anymore. You know, the, the, the more you can be yourself as a brand, just be who you really are. You know, be okay with your faults, be okay, be okay with what you're struggling with and tell your story of how you're trying to get better.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and you, you said something about be okay with your faults is everybody makes a mistake. Even a brand will make that mistake. Own up to it. You know, You know, say, okay, we screwed up. You know, we didn't mean to. We didn't, uh, you know, didn't think that this would affect, you know. You know, the, the one most recently was the Burger King one on, you know, trying to put women back in the kitchen or something like that. And I think we had a little back and forth, you know, as I say, you know, it's, that was my, one of my healthy skeptic moments, like, how did that ever happen, you know? So that happened. It happened. And, you know, but instead of just owning up for it, the CEO or whoever, you know, tried to defend it and try to, you know, spin it in a way, see, we did mean a good thing. It's like, instead of just saying, you know, we, we screwed up, we didn't realize that message would be taken. And probably the day we put it out there with International Women's Month and everything, Wasn't a good idea
0: (laughs) Which would have been the perfect thing to say instead of getting defensive and and I think that's what Human beings and and people who you know, love your brand or like your brand or your business They're forgiving if you're honest. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But if you try to BS them or you try to Get defensive about something they'll that's it. You're done
1: There's there's the the term in politics, uh, you know taking the leg out of a story, taking the legs out of the story It's like if if you try to be defensive and and be what the Burger King guy was. And also I go back to another brand that I give for for my strategy students. I give them Victoria's Secret because, you know, that brand several years ago with that uh, CEO, my god, you know, it's just like it's just, just stop talking. Yeah, that did not go <laughs> just, well. <laughs> just stop talking, you Somebody know. Somebody
0: please take the microphone away.
1: Yeah, so if 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 they would have just taken the legs right out of the story, people would have still gone got whoppers and everything like that. But instead, they they were defensive and then usually the apology comes out after the defensive part and that that doesn't usually go well because now you look like you're settling, okay, I'll apologize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just
0: you know, it's it's so funny how many uh Lessons that you can, that you can take and use as a human being, you can translate directly to brands. Oh yeah. So not, so I, I could talk to you literally all day. This is so much fun, but I know like the, we're at about an hour. So I've already kept you longer. So I'm gonna ask you one, one final question today. And it's a question I like to ask every guest is what, what would the experienced seasoned storyteller, Scott tell the young storyteller, Scott?
1: Oh, that's a that's a really good one. Uh, first of all, I would tell him that there are a lot of creative people on the teams you're going to be working with, and understand and accept the fact that they, because <laughs> I tell this to my students, if if they make changes or suggest changes to your work, it doesn't mean they don't like the work. It means they're trying to help get it make it better. You know, so knock that little chip right right off your shoulder. Um, so that's a big one, you know, and and I see that in student teams all the time. They they start banging heads on well, my idea, it's like no, 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 let's stop the my idea stuff. Let's it's a team idea. Let's and we're all here trying to make it better. So that that is a big one that I, I recognize. You know, when I first started doing work for agencies, because they'd give me a couple of days, and I, you know, and then Steve Gilman would come in and say, "That's pretty good, but let's try a different shot." I'm like, Jesus, he's ruining my masterpiece. And then I then I would, then i realized it's better I'm like okay maybe maybe this guy is pretty good at this you know so that that, that is certainly um, the biggest thing that that i would do is understand when you're on a creative team the team is you should be all aligned making the product better for the client Um, you know, so knock the chips off everyone's shoulder and work together, you know, and understand that the Steve Gilman's of the world and whoever else you work with have been doing this a long time and they know the client and what the client, you know, so let's, let's work together. So that, I I would say that's my biggest thing. Um, second one, probably never draft a quarterback before round six.
0: (laughs) I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think I've done that almost every year. I can't, and it's always Aaron Rodgers.
1: Yeah, it's, it is. It is no, no, always. But but seriously, I mean, it's it really is is understanding that you know we, when you're on a team, it's working together, and then and, and then really, and I think I've done this because and it, and being around the younger students is really helpful. Is in looking at that new technology and embracing the technology part of it, and then seeing how that may fit in traditional storytelling or new new ways of storytelling. So if it is vertical video on you know, an iPhone 12, because it's vertical doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, it, it is a different way of doing things and it is a newer way that, you know, uh, again, I can remember t- telling students, now if you're going to shoot with this, you shoot in your horizontal, you know, and then now I'm like, okay, no, that, that probably wasn't good advice. You know, that probably was, you know, this is The way people are seeing videos now, you know, that, you know, so it's just being open to, you know, learning, continual learning, you know, and just not acting like, um, you know, because I did that, did it this way 20 years ago means we have to do it this way. Now, you know, you need to, to kind of, you know, ride with the current a little bit and see where it'll take you and then use some of that new knowledge to in the, in the storytelling skills that you already have.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's a great place for us to, to end today cuz that's that's an amazing point. And I think people in our industry, the ones that are curious and continuous learners are always the ones that are successful.
1: Yes, agreed. You
0: know. 100%. And listening yeah. to each other, I know editing with you, there one of the things I learned over the years was, you know, if you're a director, you think you're supposed to be in charge and know what you want. And there are times where you have to turn to the people around you, the editors and be like, "I'm I'm stuck." Yep. What do you got?
1: Help yep. me out. And I think you know when you look, and a director is a leader. You know, when I don't want to go into too much longer. The director is a leader, and the best leaders you see are ones who actively ask for input yeah. from everyone. It may be you know the grip who's sitting there looking at it and say, "What did you see? Was that turn quick enough, or something like that?" And and any kind of leadership, you know, you know, who, you know, anybody thinks they've got all the right ideas is, is, is wrong in <laughs> my mind. For sure. uh, and, um, you know, so, you know, I'm, there's a story about general Eisenhower who demanded his staff question his decisions, poke holes in them, stress test them. He said, if, if you don't do that, why are you here? You know, why are you even here? So, um, You know, it is good to see that kind of leadership, you know, we talk about storytelling is like, you know, Steve, what do you think about this cut where I have it? Does it work for you? And and we get that thing going.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the fun in it, and I think that's the art of it too. Is is it making a conversation and actually working? Yeah. It, that's the great thing about creativity. You're in a box together, and you got to figure it out. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thanks, man. Thanks so much for doing this today.
1: You're welcome. This is a lot of fun. Anytime. Yeah,
0: this was a blast. I, I swear, like we
1: could have gone. I could have talked to you for another hour. or So. Any, anytime, I'd be happy to do. It's great to see you again too.